0: Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown, and by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com. Welcome to Radio 5G's Cosmic Soup Show. Mark Joseph will join me in the second hour to explain this name change. This is a pre recorded show to air on November 1st, 2023. My name is Nancy Hopkins, and our first hour will have Dean Henderson on the Higher Side Network with Greg Carlwood. To fully appreciate what you're about to hear, I think we should take a look at Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson is a world-renowned political analyst, historian, and an author of seven books. Among the early truth-tellers to be ghosted and deplatformed by social media giants like Facebook and Twitter, Dean's left-hook blog had millions of views when it was deleted by the NSA in 2014 and again in 2019 by WordPress without explanation. Despite decades of threats and harassment, Henderson has never wavered from his lifelong commitment to revealing the evils of the worldwide oligarchy. After a three-year absence from the web, Dean has begun reposting his Left Hook archives on Substack. In 2013, Dean published his seventh book, Royal Bloodline and Wetiko and the Great Remembering. So let's take a look at Amazon's description description of that book. Royal Bloodlines Wetiko and the Great Remembering delves into the history of the Royal Anunnaki Bloodline which arrived in Sumeria around 8500 years ago. The Native American Cree word wetco means cannibal of the flesh and soul. Henderson tracks this savage bloodline from Samaria through Babylon, Egypt, and Rome to their current power base in the city of London. More importantly, he deconstructs the mythology used by this crown to keep humans enslaved and isolated during this relatively brief period in human history drawing upon ancient Lakota culture to remind us of who we are, Henderson sees a great remembering unfolding which makes this, this bloodline, this royal bloodline, very nervous. Illuminati Agenda 21, the Luciferian plan to destroy creation from June 2018 tells the story of the age-old battle between good and evil. The first part of the tale identifies the Luciferian prepat- prep perpetrators tracing their origins back to ancient Samaria and tracking their dominance over mankind through Babylon, Egypt, and the Holy Roman Empire, and on to their modern-day Masonic lair known as the City of London. Part two of the book brings the battle into recent times where the Illuminati's Agenda 21 is quietly unfolding in an insidious, creepy way towards global fascism in their long-awaited goal of a new world secular order, which threatens to strip us of our humanity, replace us with machines, and destroy all creation. Another book um, put out in July of 2019 is The Nephilim Crown 5G Apocalypse is an indictment of the computer revolution as simply the latest mechanism through which the royal bloodline families seek to control humanity. The rollout of their well-tested battlefield weapon systems known as 5G represent the pinnacle of their use of electromagnetic frequencies to literally remote control what these feudalists have for 8,000 years seen as their human herd. Since their intervention in Samaria, these high-bred fallen angels, the Nephilim, have usurped, steered, and plundered all of creation as self-appointed god-kings. The coming 5G Apocalypse represents an opportunity for a great unveiling, the Greek meaning of Apocalypse, the great unveiling, of not only the nefarious 5G deception, but the fraudulent Nephilim crown itself. The book is written with the hope that it contributes to this great unveiling so that humanity will seize this moment, not just to stop the 5G Fourth Industrial Revolution of the Fourth Reich, but to emancipate itself from the crown overlords. Sticking it to the Matrix was an early one from June of 2012, and is a funny, irreverent book that is a practical step-by-step guide to both escaping and extracting from the matrix in sticking it to the matrix henderson offers the reader the same insight that allowed him to retire at age 28 move to the country and author this his fourth book big oil and their bankers is another book and it pulls back the covers to expose a century-old cabal of global oligarchs whose control over the global economy is based on control over the planet's three most valuable commodities, oil, guns, and drugs, combined with ownership of the world's central banks. Henderson implicates these oligarchs in the orchestration of a string of conspiracies from Pearl Harbor to, Ken- to the Kennedy assassination to 9-11. He follows the trail of dirty money up to the food chain to the interbred eight families who, from their city city of London base, control the four horsemen of oil and the global drug trade and the permanent, permanent war economy. Um, there's others that he's written here. One, the Federal Reserve Cartel Bank, uh... Grateful Eunuch Revolution in 50 Countries and has done a tremendous amount of blogging that you can see on Substack now again like I said in the beginning so let's just take this time uh, it's about 55 minutes or so and we will listen to his presentation that with this information you're probably going to be able
1: to follow a little better alrighty here we go Rock me like a hurricane, higher side Chatters. from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and if you analyze any age in the human story, you find a very similar relationship between the rulers and the rest of us. Exploitation, tyranny, contempt, and deception seem like the main ingredients in the control cake, and one could say that's been the cornerstone of the people's diet about as far back as we know. But some of the oldest records and stories we have speak of an outside influential invader that changed the natural order of things on this island Earth, and that should make anyone curious. Were we taught, bred, and even engineered to serve some master from outside the system? Did a world of reciprocation and cooperation become one of haves and have-nots under the influence of these new foreign forces? Might the modern-day elite be able to be traced back to this unexpected arrival, and is it possible that this might be the biggest secret of all? Well, when you read the latest book of today's returning guest, Dean Henderson, entitled Royal Bloodline Wetiko and the Great Remembering, you might be convinced. In it, he maps the bad guys right back to Babylon, traces the bloodline to the modern day, and details some of their dirty work that many people overlook. So let's go. The Controller Class Chronicler, Royal Bloodline Revealer, and Anunnaki Invasion author, Dean my man, welcome back to THC.
2: Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me, brother.
1: Here, let's get into the book, Royal Bloodline Watiko, and the Great Remembering. You kick it off talking about the Lakota crazy horse, who you call one of the bravest men to have ever walked the earth, and this term, Tonka. Elaborate on some of these themes for the unfamiliar. Why start the book off this way?
2: Well, because, you know, the book is really, you know, it does trace the history of what I consider the Anunnaki bloodline that today constitutes the one royal family, because there's one royal family in the world. They're all related. All these kings and queens are related, no matter if they, you know, pop up in Britain or Sweden or Thailand or wherever. They're all related. They're all part of one big bloodline. And this is what the book traces. But, you know, I think the bigger thing about the book is that it discusses, well, the Witiko information, the bad information. And Witiko, meaning in Cree, it's a Cree word, and it really means cannibal, but more than cannibal because it's somebody who wants to not just eat your flesh, but eat your soul, right? So when these settlers first showed up, mainly in the Midwest and in the interior West, these tribes had been isolated for so long that like you have to understand, like the Bible means nothing to the Lakota or the Cree. I mean, they, they didn't even have contact with white people until 150 years ago. Mm. They didn't have any idea that people could act like this. It just all baffled them, so they just called them Monticos, like these people are nuts, pretty much. And and they'll just like, you know, you'll offer them dinner, and then they'll want a week's more dinner, and then they'll burn your house down and take it and declare Homestead Act and take your shit. And that's exactly what happened, you know. <laughs> and so. Well, why were white people like that? Well, they were like that because earlier in their heritage, you know, they were hunters and gatherers too in Europe. But then these Anunnaki moved into Babylon, over to Egypt, across to the Holy Roman Empire and the Middle Ages. And they treated the white people just like that. And they taught them to be like that. And so the book's really about like how we've been sort of taught this certain set of preconceived notions that we just take for granted. And how all those really come in the end nowadays from the Royal Society, which is, you know, the bloodline basically it hid behind religion for a while, hid behind Judaism first, created this fake Jewry in Babylon, which wasn't Judaism, it was Talmudic Satanism. And, you know, this is where the Baccarat family came from, which became the Bauer family, which became the Rothschild family eventually. But the Baccarats were... Key in the Silk Road slave trade and all the other Silk Road trade. And they were trading with the Li family from China. And they're supplying a lot of slavery, slaves. It's a Tang dynasty. But the Lee's are, you know, one of the bloodline families as well. So early on they came here and they just spread out everywhere and they just looks like took it over. So they hid behind Judaism, then they hid behind the Catholic Church. They were openly pagan in Egypt. I mean, they were just the pharaohs. They didn't even speak Egyptian. They didn't speak the local language. The only one that did was Cleopatra VII, the last pharaoh. And then she had a tryst with Julius Caesar, and they had a kid named Caesarian. And the amazing thing about doing this book was how seamless the history is, actually. If you just look at it, and you study, and you can just map it, how the Anunnaki moved to become the pharaohs and into Babylon. And then from Egypt, these elongated-scale pharaohs, as soon as the Egyptian empire was crushed because there was an uprising and people were just sick of these pharaohs and all their greed and forced labor and everything, slavery. And so right when that was going down, about 67 AD or something, that's when Julius Caesar and Cleopatra had the affair. And then it was Julius Caesar, who most people believe burned down the Alexandria Library sort of burn all the evidence of all these bloodlines and their control everywhere, and then move across to the Mediterranean and, and become the Holy Roman Empire. So then they hid behind Catholicism. They hijacked Catholicism through the Council of Nicaea in 200-something A.D. And they said and before that, people thought Jesus was just another dude and, and a really good dude. And, but we all had to be good dudes and good dudettes or whatever. And then now the Council of Nicosia, which was presided over by uh, Constantine the Great, basically just said, no, Jesus is your savior. Jesus is, is your Messiah. You know, he's the only one. And so then people started thinking like that. And it, what that does is it takes responsibility off a person and it puts it onto this other guy. And you know, oh, he's going to die for your sins and all this horseshit, which he didn't. He died because he was murdered by the Illuminati. Huh. Okay, you get it straight. He was murdered by the bloodline. He was murdered by the Anunnaki. And the Habsburgs still have the spirit destiny that was used to kill him in their castle in Austria. But they move across there, they hide behind Catholicism. Then they go, they have the falling out with, you know, well, Jacques Dillemay was burned at the stake by Pope Clement and the King of France, who was apparently in debt to Dimalay, De who was the Grand Wizard of the, you know, Knight Templar or whatever. And so they have the falling out and all the loot suddenly disappeared and it kind of turned up later mostly in Scotland. And then the Sinclair family, one of the bloodline one of the members of the bloodline, or the St. Clair family, sometimes it's known as Sinclair or St. Clair. Remember that Sinclair is the big radio broadcaster in this country that controls almost every AM station now.
3: Mm-hmm. So they're
2: coming out of the closet, so you can actually, now you can see these names coming up. They helped facilitate, you know, William the Conqueror, and William, and then under William III, they pretty much, you know, moved the masonry into the city of London, which is already part of the Roman Empire, very important part of it, became much more important in the 15th century shipbuilding and then really took off. And they moved the Masonic stuff into the city of London, created this one square mile. Nobody knows when because the papers for the city of London corporation have mysteriously disappeared. The charter does not exist. So that's interesting too because it's probably 2,000 years old, this thing. But anyway, that's when they started to hide behind the royal societies and sort of the Anglican church or. Protestantism, and they actually funded Martin Luther because as a kind of a revolt against the Catholic Church, which had you know, butted heads with, and the whole premise of Martin Luther also was, you know, you didn't need to do good acts to go to heaven. That's the Protestant thing, right? The Catholics believe, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus and God and all that, but you also have to live a good life, but the Protestants don't believe that. So that's kind of big because when you're a 8,500-year-old Hybrid alien human dynasty that lives like a parasite off humanity and the earth, you don't really want to be responsible for your actions, right? So that just takes that right off of you. And it's all you got to say is Jesus is your savior, right? And that's it. And that's all you hear from these evangelical people nowadays, which is just insane, you know, while they're driving around in their pink Cadillacs. And, you know, God said I should live in a castle. And yeah, right. So anyway, it's this kind of garbage that was inculcated in people, you know, throughout all this history of. So then they went, once the Masonic thing had taken hold in the city of London, that's when the Royal Society popped up. And so then they're not hiding behind, you know, the Judaism anymore. They're not hiding behind the Catholic Church. They're not even hiding behind the Protestants. Now they're hiding behind science. And so science is the new Messiah, right? Science is the new religion. And so everything that the Royal Society has told us, we believe is true. Like, you know, survival of the fittest or, you know, Big Bang Theory or like, evolutionary theory or atomic physics theory, you know, these are theories. Okay. There's a reason they call them theories, right? But people just take it as gospel. Then they internalize that and they sort of become mean spirited and they develop this kind of first strike mentality. And I have one chapter in my book, it's called first strike with And that's what, you know, it's this idea that I use the example of some colonizer that was in Alaska and Kodiak Island and this bear rears up. And instead of talking to the bear and backing down and demurring a little bit and just letting the bear pass, which he easily could have done, he just shoots the bear and the head goes back to some king's castle, I suppose. And the Indian, you know, the the Yupik way is just totally, you know, that's just crazy. I mean, that's why you take a life. This is your relationship right here. This is a relation of yours. Don't you understand? This is your brother. And no, they don't understand. And most white people don't understand. And most Indians don't understand anymore, really. And that's sad because that's the reality. That's the nature of the reality we inhabit. That is the very nature of it, that we have these relationships and that reciprocity is what really counts. Like the more you reciprocate, the better your life gets. It's just instant karma every step of the way. If you live a good life, if you're a nice person, your life is easy, it's good you live a life where you're in conflict with people and you're always trying to cause problems and look for trouble and look for problems in God's creation. Oh, this is, you're not grateful and all this stuff. Then he goes the other way. And it really is kind of like, that's kind of God versus, you know, Lucifer. Because Lucifer and all the fallen angels, the Nephilim or the Anunnaki, those interchangeable terms to me, they believe they can come up with the things that are better than what creation offers so that's why they come up with vaccines that's why they come up with roundup that's why they come up with atomic bombs you know and, and just crazy things that don't work they overoperate operate on people they just because they're so smart and they're gonna and now they're finding out that yeah like if you have certain cancers you just leave them alone you'll be fine you have just as good of a chance of living with that tumor as you do if they start cutting you up and radiating you so but it's just like this really kind of medieval mindset more so that these rulers have put onto the people, especially the Western person, but increasingly, you know, they're trying, again, to spread this cult. It's like a cult to the third world, too, through cell phones and the internet and TV, and, there, you know, screens everywhere. Screens just ubiquitous everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And they learned that from Edward Bernays, working from MKUltra, and and there was a project, Monarch, actually. It was the main project under MKUltra. And so, yeah, interesting name. So, I mean... It's all kind of like, that's what the book's about anyways. It's not only about the history of this bloodline, but it's more about the ideas and the crazy insanity that they've put into our heads. And that's where I use kind of the Lakota and the Wakantanka, which Wakantanka, to Lakota, that's Lakota word, that means the great mystery. And I myself can't think of a better way to describe the good in the world or the God in the world or whatever created this world it's just it is it's a great mystery i don't pretend to understand it. i'm just like a little child just fumbling around in this world i don't really understand much of anything you know but that's the whole thing like these satanists they think they know everything and they're trying to get everyone to think that way like everyone knows everything and it's really dangerous and this is why i think airplanes are falling out of the sky and there's near misses and you know this this is why just a lot of crazy stuff's happening it's just the incompetence and sort of this arrogance of the people, they're losing touch with reality. They're being initiated into this cult. They don't even know it, and it is the screens. And yeah, it just caused a bank run at Silicon Valley Bank, this kind of wutico. This is the wutico that they've sown in people. So we all need to, yeah, deconstruct that and also know who those families are and know who's in charge and that they are in charge of the Sororah bloodlines through the city of London Corporation, which is ancient, and that's where all the masonry is headquartered all the Templar stuff is headquartered. The Knights of Malta are, are their moles in the Catholic Church, not the Jesuits. The Jesuits to me are just always run down for no, I can never find any evidence of anything hardly about the Jesuits, probably because they're the good guys. I think they are the good guys. Hmm. And maybe this Pope, because he's a Jesuit, I mean, he has at least taken a few positions like lately. He's you know He's not criticizing Russia or the US. He's saying, this is a war. You, you all need to just back off and You know who knows, but anyway, they just got their moles, their agents everywhere, all the time, in in academia, in finance, and there's just a pecking order and a hierarchy to how it all works. But it's amazingly tight knit and it's amazingly seamless. The Holy Roman Empire literally died. I think was ninety, was nine. Yeah, it was nine years actually before the Pax Britannica was declared, the British Empire. And as I said, the Pharaohs sixty-seven years ahead of the. The Holy Roman Empire. And yeah, some people think, you know, en- Enki and Anlil, these commanders of the Anunnaki, when they first came here, became Horus and Ramses in Egypt. And we're the same person. We're the same exact people, and not people, but hybrids. So it's pretty seamless and pretty amazing, really. And just the fact that people can't see it, that's what is really even more amazing. And that has everything to do with what I'm talking about with this Watiko sowing of really deception in people and telling people lies about the very nature of reality and the very nature of who they are as people.
1: (laughs) Damn. Yeah. What a summary, man. And when I read your work, I feel like there are no good guys, but when it comes to the Jesuits, it seems like they really kind of control a lot of the major universities. So maybe that's where their influence comes into play. And some of the major medical universities too, which obviously that's, a big component of the control apparatus. But yeah, it's a tangled web. It's hard to really know. We're talking about thousands of years of history, and you're really good at summarizing this complex stuff. And you've written about the Royal Bloodline continuity before, but what aspects of this lineage, this network, did you not know until you started doing the research and compiling this latest book?
2: Oh, I actually learned a lot. I mean, there was a lot I, I didn't know, and there's still a lot I don't know. And it, it a lot of times it just seems like you stumble across things, you know, when you're doing this kind of project, you know, and it's just stuff that, yeah. I mean, you know, like I didn't know the Wellesley family was so powerful, and and they basically became, well, you know, that's where Wells Fargo came from, for example. I didn't know the Candius family another Italian black nobility family was now become the Mars family, the chocolate bar family people. And the more you study it, the more you realize it, genealogically it's seamless. I mean the Pallavicini's of people I'm sure in the past have heard me talk about the Pallavicini family, very powerful Holy Roman Empire family. And it turns out they're related to the Cromwell family in Britain. And also to the Shah of Iran, which I should know that already because I know it's one big family. But this idea is it just seems so far out, right? That this could be one bloodline. But one of the most interesting things I came across it was actually, believe it or not, it was on CNN. One day I just was flipping around and I saw this royal genealogist. I think he worked for Burke's Peerage, probably. He said the royal families are all one. Big family, actually. And he actually said that on CNN. And I about fell my chair. And it's true. And that's the thing. And that's what, it's the sangreal, it's this royal blood. But why is that so special? You know, what makes that blood so special? Yeah, it's RH negative largely, which is also interesting. So it is different. And it could actually have a, maybe it has a blue tinge to it. Thus the name blue blood. You know, I've heard that mentioned. I don't know. I've never looked at the blood of any of these people. But it's different. and. All this happened, see, all this happened in the last 8,500 years. That's what's really, to me, amazing about it. It's like, if this is really what went down, and if this is, you know, if this is it, then this is relatively new, right? Which should give us hope. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I can tell you from studying, you know, I grew up in South Dakota here, and I studied a lot of Lakota in college, and I can tell you they've been around for over 100,000 years, easy and haven't had any problems really until about 150 years ago when you know the settlers came and that's a fact and so we can be a lot better than this we can do a lot better than this as a society but we have to first we have to strip these people their power obviously and i'm just you know i'm like I don't know if it's you know. It, it's some days I think, yeah, more people are talking about the Royals, and yeah, we're getting somewhere. And then some days I'm just like, man, they're off talking about this little bit of the puzzle again, or this little minutia of the problem again, or. And mostly it's like that, and of course that's by design, and that's you know how they want to keep it. But we have got to get serious. I mean, it's just like people. It's our natural instinct if we're human and for animals, which we're both then we, we have to have this natural instinct for danger. And if we see danger coming at us, we have to identify that danger. If a bear's running at you in the woods and you camp near a river and you see the bear, you can't just sit there and, you know, plug your ears and go, la, 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 I don't see it, I don't see it. You can't do that or you'll die. Well, the same thing, exactly the same thing is happening to our world today.
3: Mm-hmm. So if
2: you see that bear, first of all, you better learn to see the bear. And that, you know, you have to learn to see the bear. <laughs> yeah, you know, in this case, because they're telling you it's something else. They're telling you it's not a bear. They're in 6G, 7G, 10G, 15G. They're telling you, oh, this is, you know, an apple's an orange and a tree's a rock. And they're telling you, and this is what makes it really intense right now, because the level of psychological warfare going on from DARPA, from the crown, DARPA's just an agent of the crown, from Google, which came out of DARPA from, and it was called mimics before it became Google mimics, like get everybody to mimic everybody. Right. Yeah, just mock us, you know, and then Facebook was LifeLog. log. It's a DARPA project came directly out of that. And so all this is manipulation. All this is brainwashing people and making them dumber. I mean, technology is making us dumber. There's yeah. just no doubt about it. I mean, the amount of time you spend, I don't care if it's social media, if it's your blog, or if it's you know, just surfing the internet or even just having the computer on. Maybe I'm starting to think it's just the, the more you do that, the dumber you're going to be. And that's <laughs> the God's honest truth. I swear to God. And so I only get on the thing for this and I'll, I'll check my email once a day, my book sales once a day, I turn my phone off all day. We need to do these interviews. We need to do this kind of stuff, but we don't need to do a lot of stuff we're doing on <laughs> yeah. these things. So it's really interesting times, but it's like, uh, again, it is a test. It's like, Which way you gonna go? You know, are you gonna cave in? Are you gonna say a bear's not a bear? Are you gonna just agree to that and let them get away with that deception? What's the next thing gonna be? It's okay to kill your kid, you know, and that's okay now. And I mean, you know what I mean, because this is a satanist cabal that wants to invert our morality. And I do feel like the morality of the general public, especially I have to say, the young people, is slipping. Like they don't even sometimes have a sense of morality, like what's right and wrong. It's more about you know what I need to do to comply or what I need to do to make authority happy, or what I need to do to make money, or there's no set of like values. And there's definitely no like sense of reciprocity. So when you fracture that sacred hoop of reciprocity, and you fracture those relationships, you're left with this this sort of linear understanding and this, it's a dead end cul-de-sac. I mean, you just keep going and going and you never round that circle and you never deal with things you need to deal with and you never reciprocate. And then your life just gets extremely isolated and lonely. And that's the idea of technology. It's a beast system. I think it is the beast. I think technology is the beast we're talking about. Now, the people behind the algorithms of this technology are part of that beast too, because their WTCO mindset programs these algorithms in certain ways. And they're nuts. I mean, they're certified Satanists. They may not even know it. They don't even know a lot of them that they're Luciferian. But the way they act, take a bite out of the apple, mock. God move into agriculture from hunting and gathering. But one of the things, you know, I learned in this book already about they were forced in, people were forced into hunting and gathering. So it wasn't so much that, you know, humans' fault. It was that we were literally forced into hunting and gathering by the serpent and tempted out of the Garden of Eden, which was hunting and gathering, which was so much easier and so much better and so much more about reciprocity. And you counted on everyone. You know, it was clear in your tribe that everyone was equal, that there was no hierarchy. It was Pretty anarchists really like leave people alone. They leave you alone. But with a kind of an anarcho-syndicalist, definitely bent because they help each other. Everybody had free health care. Everybody had free education. Everybody got to eat. A well, hunter ate last because the hunter knew that by eating last, he gained more respect and he would, that sacred hoop would stay intact. That's the good red road that you walk. You have to walk a road in this life and you pick your road and it's either the good red road or it's a road that's lost. And it's all about the value system. It's all about your values. It's all about mm-hmm. what you value. You know, what, do you value relationships, reciprocity, or do you value money, material things? All these things that happen, starting with us settling into agriculture. Because, you know, when you settle into agriculture, you get more stuff. You have a place to store the stuff, right? You're in competition with the next guy across the fence all of a sudden, where you used to work together, right? Women, the status of women crashed under agriculture. I mean, that's when women really took a hit. I mean, in hunting and gathering societies, they were equals. They were on the councils. You know, it was always old men, old women that were the tribal councils. They didn't have chiefs. That was a total foreign, again, Witiko concept, that there would be this one person that ran your whole damn tribe. I mean, that, that's just not the way it was. But, you know, nowadays they appoint, the BIA appoints the most corrupt people as the chiefs or whatever, the tribes. Sure.
1: Yeah, that's one of the most unique aspects of your book and your take on a lot of this stuff is that the Anunnaki arrived and then forced humanity into agriculture because usually it's framed as a good thing. A lot of researchers call them the culture seeders and consider agriculture to be one of the big positive things they taught ancient people along with mathematics and science and all kinds of other stuff. And I think that's an interesting take. I mean, you lived on a multi-generational farm. You had another farm in the Ozarks. So you know that that's not necessarily the easiest lifestyle. And it's really hard for us to get an accurate picture of an unadulterated system because we've been in this one for so long. But there's another section in the book that I really liked where you break down the history of crown slavery and the British East India Company from the kingdom of Castile invading the Canary Islands and workers not being able to own land, but having to work on crown owned land Mm. that not only comes up in sugar cane, cotton, tobacco, rice, coffee plantations, but also just in agriculture itself, because the king is like, this is my land. You can work it and then give me the crops and then take what's left if I have anything left that doesn't fit in my storehouses. But you also have this really good breakdown of the history of the Congo, which contains most of the world's rare earth minerals. And it's still being mined by slaves today for our smartphones, electric car parts, and a lot of other modern technology, including most of the green stuff, which is a real mindfuck for a lot of people because We think about slavery as this thing in the past and, oh my God, that was so terrible. How could people live like that? We would never live like that today. You are living like that today. Yeah. You know, half the things you use throughout the day come from these slave systems over there in the Congo. But I didn't know much about the names of the people and corporations involved, and I hoped you could walk us through some of that history and crown puppets like, Mabuntu, CC Siku and companies like Glencore, which are now kind of running the show.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the Congo was always the fiefdom of the Belgians, you know, it was the only country the Belgians had really in Africa. And I shouldn't say the Belgians. It was the Belgian crown, which were Habsburgs, you know, and it was King Leopold for most of that time. And the Congo, yeah, I mean, that's really why there's this huge war in the Congo today that's it's killed like 6 million people in the last 15 years. And it's worse than Pol Pot, it's worse than Hitler. I mean, it's a genocide, and nobody talks about it. And you're right, the reason they don't talk about it is because all these rare earth minerals are coming out of there that run all our laptops and all our phones and all our electric smart whatever, which we think is so green. So, yeah, I guess 6 million deaths, that's not too green. But it's more than that. It's got copper. It's got a lot of stuff. It's got magnesium. I mean, it's probably the most, you know, mile per mile, definitely the most mineral-rich country in the world. And that's why when they finally, you know, threw the Belgians out in decolonization, Patrice Lumumba was the guy that was popular, and he was the guy everybody wanted to be prime minister. And, you know, then he was assassinated. And some people think it was Frank Carlucci, who was Reagan's defense secretary, you know, who actually assassinated him, and could be. I've definitely come across that. So they took out Lumumba, and they installed, yeah, Mobutu Sese Seko, who became a billionaire, and he just opened his country up to the mining giants. You know, in that part of the world, it's really all led by Anglo-American Corporation, which is the Rothschild-Oppenheimer conglomerate that owns De Beers, Diamonds, and it also owns... It's a gold processor. There's one company that processes all the gold in the world, literally. And anyway, they own it. I can't remember the name right now. It's in the book. But yeah. And so, you know, a lot of it was those interests for sure. And those interests were established early on in South Africa. I would argue, you know, during the Aonaki invasion, that far back, because South Africa was where a lot of this stuff happened, a lot of the, I think, some sort of technology that allowed them to levitate this, whatever they were after back to the Nibiru, you know, and that's probably explained Michael Tellinger's findings and of those weird sort of gyroscopic, look like cattle corrals, but they're not all over South Africa because I think that was a way to transport stuff back up. But, but that's been a long time, you know, in South Africa, and of course, Congo, kind of you know, it's not very far from there. It's not very far from Zimbabwe, which was Cecil Rhodes' fiefdom. And for the same reason, I mean, that area is just really rich in minerals. But yeah, the East India Company, I mean, that was that was chartered by the Tudor family, one of the bloodline families. They ruled, and then the Plantagenets ruled after that. And the Winters are still Plantagenet blood. I mean, again, it's one big family, so they're all related. The Tudors are related to the Plantagenets too. There was this big like eugenics project in Normandy you know, that you come across in the thirteenth fourteenth century, where all these families came, and then the banking families also came from Venice, like the Medici's and the Lombards and the Bards, which is what Queen Elizabeth her family actually is. She's a Venetian banker, you know, blood. But again, they're all related. But they got together again in Normandy, and they kind of inbred some more, and that's where William the Conqueror came out. of was Normandy, and he rushed into England and took it from King Harold in Norway or whatever. And then they, that's when the city of London and the masonry and all that stuff really got going. But yeah, East India, they would take slaves from whatever, Mozambique, take them to Indonesian plantations that they control. And you have to remember East India company was, again, had a royal charter. They had the golden share. It was owned by the royals. And in the same way that Serco is controlled by the royals today. And, The biggest slaving company was actually the Royal Africa Company, which was wholly owned by, I believe it was King James II. And they were by far the biggest slave trading company was the Royal Africa Company. And so, yeah, of course, then they brought him here. But so it just goes through this kind of uh, transformation from open slavery. And then when slavery ended, and some people think it was just because it was too expensive. It was cheaper for the oligarchs to actually pay people this pittance of you know, wages and not have to feed them and not have to house them, not have to put up with insurrections. So they started this decolonization. And I have a chapter about that, about how that was just a total fraud because yeah, the kings and queens aren't ruling your country directly anymore. The British administrators left Kenya, but they were just replaced by these African administrators who were corrupt, you know, who were appointed chiefs, you know, by the British. And then they just continued to work right away with the IMF, which was set up post-World War II, right about the time of decolonization, right? So you go from open colonization to sort of financial parasite colonization, right, where you sink these countries into debt and people like Mobutu run the country, Mobutu, Gets rich, siphons off IMF loan money, sure, siphons off a lot, just total corruption. They put the money back into the offshore bank system, which is controlled by the city of London, of course, as we know, through the Bank of England numbered accounts. And then, you know, so they're helping bolster that system in so many ways, but they're black. And so it looks better. And so the late stage of this is you go from science and rural societies and you kind of crescendo with the vaccine mRNA. And now, It appears that they're taking this. It's always a sales pitch, right? It's always they have to convince us. So decolonization, oh, that's so hip. That's so cool. And that really helps people out. Yeah. And then so now it's the woke movement. And really, the woke movement is what they're hiding behind now. It's gone from the Royal Society and its science, which, yes, is still kind of God. I guess science, you know, they're fake science. It's all fake science. It's a mockery of science. What they call science is a mockery of science, okay, just to be clear. We're the scientists. The Indians were the scientists. The Lakota were the scientists, okay, so this to be clear, and it's very important. Well, then you find all these guys like Malthus and, you know, John Malthus, Thomas Malthus, Thomas Hobbes. All these philosophers who came up with all these crazy ideas, you know, that were kind of cast upon us. You know, the British literary, you know, literati, and all these people were supposed to think are great writers. They were literally, like, Hobbes was... uh, Math instructor to Charles, Prince of Wales of the Cavendish family, for example. You know, Malthus was a member of the Royal Society. His grandfather was Daniel Graham, who was an apothecary pharmacist to Kings George II, George III. Graduated from Cambridge. You know, all these guys were literally taken around by the royal bloodline, and their ideas were promoted. And of course, their ideas are just garbage. I mean. You no, know, Hobbes, here's a quote from Hobbes, Force and fraud are in war the two cardinal virtues. Covenants without the sword are but words, and of no strength to secure a man at all. When all the world is overcharged with inhabitants, then the last remedy of all is war, which provideth for every man by victory or death. <laughs> right? War provides, huh? Okay. <laughs> These are the and they're still teaching this bullshit at every university, philosophy 101 department in the country, probably. Yeah. To my knowledge. And this is the kind of Watiko mindset that we're talking about here. This really twisted view of the world, really full of fear, right? Just full of fear. Yeah. Just had to shoot the bear because I was so scared. And I lived my life so scared. <laughs> and it's, but that's the way. <laughs> They are, and they're the most pathetic creatures you'd ever come across, but they run the world. Yeah. And somehow we have to change that to where the smartest people run the world. You know, like you should be the president, dude, or oh. whatever. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But, I mean, it's just we're stuck with this because we don't have the guts to really call it out and identify it and take it out. I don't care how we take it out. I'm not a, I'm not a pacifist. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a warmonger for sure, but I don't care how we take it out. And I don't think God cares either, mm-hmm. or Walker cares either. Well But said. I do think it's an obligation to take it out because it's a parasite that's injuring our brothers and sisters, including our brothers and sisters, in the natural world every single day. And they've stepped over the line a long time ago. So we are within our rights of self-defense by any means necessary. Right. I would agree. I would agree. Man, the more
1: things change, the more they stay the same, as they say. And that's a really good breakdown of the history of the exploitation of Africa and slavery. I mean, the only difference today is that they keep the slaves in Africa and bring the product here instead of bringing the slaves here to work on creating the products in our own backyard. I mean, that's really the only difference. So the fact that, People want to pretend like we're all equal and and they love humanity. It's like, well, you're not doing shit, honestly. You know, you're actually buying
2: the products that. It's a cover. It's, It's a cover. Like I say, it's a sales pitch, right? So what passes as woke, like people think of that as progressive. And there's a reason for that because, you know, the bloodline, what they really want to destroy is any notion of progressive, like real progressive, which is tribal society, which is reciprocity, which is sharing, which is equality, real equality. I mean, they talk about equity, but I've never seen the lives of black people in worse shape in this country. I've never seen the lives of the native people on the reservation 100 miles from here worse. They have never seen it worse. And yet they give lip service to the, the color you skin. They give lip service to your gender or your transgender. They don't care. Look, this is just all it is is a sales pitch. And then, yeah, a certain amount of the liberals buy into it, way too many of them. And they internalize this kind of wokeism. But it's actually very reactionary and capitalist in nature because it's defending capitalism. What it's saying is don't talk about class. You know, no, 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 don't talk about class. We want to talk about race, we want to talk about gender, we want to talk about your pronouns, we want to talk about as many pronouns as we can so we can divide you just that much further along different lines. And we just want to fracture this whole society because the only thing that unites a society is when you start talking about class, when you start talking about the rich and the poor, and the middle class and the middle class and the poor having something in common, a lot in common, everything in common, really, in this fight against the rich who have already stolen our property. So, you know, as far as oh, we can't redistribute the wealth. Well, that already happened. Your wealth was redistributed among the wealthy already. Your land was stolen. You don't own any land, and nobody owns any land anymore, hardly. Two hundred years ago, a lot of people owned land in this country. What happened? Well, they stole our land. They stole everything. So we need things like land reform. We need things like, you know, really radical, really progressive things. And this is the worst enemy of the oligarchy. So they have to create this woke movement. It's perfect, right? It's perfect. So they create this woke movement. Eventually this will just discredit progressivism for a long time. Again, they do this all the time and they'll take it down a notch. And then nobody will want to talk about real socialism or real anarchism or real justice systems that we can create that were more like the tribal people had. No, we'll just, fight against each other on Facebook about transgender issues and racial stuff and patronize black people, I guess, patronize women. I guess that makes you feel good. But you know what? That's racist to me. I mean, these are the most racist people, these woke people, which is also, hey, they invert the inverted language, right? So the woke people are actually the zombies and the people who are sort of backwards and aren't woke. We're the woke people. Just FYI. <laughs> Pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really good point. Again, and part of it may be that's just a test for us. You know, it's God testing us. God saying, "Well, people have a tough life there. They're going to come back. They're going to challenge you. You're going to have to call them out. If you don't, you're going to get drugged down with them. Because in the end, people have to start taking some responsibility, some personal responsibility for their actions, and you know, be willing to say they're wrong. Be willing to say they're sorry. Be willing to admit fault. Be willing to just be humble. You know, we just got to get back to this place where." it's about the walk It's about the great mystery. It's about, we don't know, man, we're so blessed, but we don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. And this sense of wonder that we just, we're losing that. We're getting cynical, we're getting jaded. And that's all being pushed by social media and the way people talk and the words they use. And it's all, etymology is a huge weapon right now. Notoriously, there's seven sacred sciences of the Nephilim and one of them is rhetoric. And they're really twisting our language up right now. So You do have to be careful what you say because words have great power. A lot of people literally think the Wakantanka, you know, or the, in the case of the Australian Aborigines, they literally think, you know, saying the world into existence by words, through sounds, through words. So you have to be really careful, especially right now, the words you use and everything, because it's all deception. I think my analysis in the end is that they're on their last leg and that we are going through what I've called the great remembering. And that reason I call it the great remembering instead of awakening, it gets obvious within the pages of the book because I'm referring to ancient cultures who knew this stuff and then we forgot it somehow. But we are going through that and really fast actually. And a lot of people are waking up and they know it. So when your own kid's writing a book called Spare, you know, it's not good. (laughs) And yeah, we just have to be brave. And if you're brave, things turn out well, and you got a lot better chance of surviving brave than you do scared. Okay, so if you're worried about your life, and if death's a big deal to you, which it's really not and shouldn't be, to me it's not. But if it is a big deal to you, you just should understand that your best chances of surviving right now are by being extremely brave instead of extremely scared, and keeping your head down, and just all you care about is answering to authority, you know, the boss, your parents' expectations. And whatever that authority is, the Royal Society latest, you know, newscast of the day—thirty minutes of garbage followed by five minutes of feel-good news to legitimize the broadcast. You know, whatever it is that keeps you stupid, you got to lose that man, and you got to get brave, and you got to say, "I don't care about that. I care about what's right. I care about doing the right thing."
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Spike
2: Lee, baby, just do the right thing.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I see so many people being petty and argumentative online. I mean, that's cliche to say. But when I see that, I just think, you know, don't underestimate the value of just being likable in a collapse or in difficult times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you might just want to be a fun person to be around in general. That <laughs> might help
2: you survive. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Now, that's that's <laughs> clear thinking. That's science. <laughs> that's science, man. Right there. Greg. I mean, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, because people don't want to uh, have you pick apart every sentence they say and like, no. who wants to be with that And guy? that's
2: what online has done to people, right? Especially, it's gotten so much, you had just all this sniping about little factoids or you misspell the word or whatever. Yeah, I don't miss that about not having a blog now, I sure don't miss that, because for all the people who wrote and said good job, there was plenty of people who were just, they're just a drag, they're just a total drag. I don't need to be drugged down into the Tico mud, <laughs> by your hangups man so just keep it to yourself homes and try to get better you know
1: yeah yeah so while we still have some time i wanted to ask you about like kind of where you see the next few years going because when you are writing about the world king being crowned and what would uh happen before that you say My guess is that it will follow a cataclysmic global war or economic collapse. A fearful public will be told of the second coming of Jesus, possibly on the heels of a fake alien invasion as envisioned in Project Bluebeam. The king will actually be a Luciferian antichrist from one of the above-mentioned royal bloodlines in an attempt to bring in a fourth industrial revolution via fifth-generation 5G weaponized technology, their utopian dream after this great reset is a new world order based on the complete electronic enslavement of humanity. And that's a hell of a guess. I mean, it sounds like all the buzzwords on the conspiracy bingo card and maybe the story of the next decade, perhaps, but what do you see the next decade really looking like uh, outside of what you say in that paragraph?
2: Well, I think that's pretty much their plan, but it's just how's it going to go. And I don't see it going that way because I think we're going to (laughs) win. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're going to, I don't know, I'm pretty optimistic, actually, about things because I see a lot more people, Um, even just this idea that a lot of people aren't going back to work, you know, and a lot of people give them a hard time for that. Oh, these kids are not hard. No, they shouldn't want to go be slaves anymore. That's the biggest part of this problem is that people accept their slavery and then they get their paycheck and then they go piss it away at the shopping mall that's owned by the same family that stole your labor at the factory or wherever and you just keep feeding this parasite with your shopping and with your working with your shopping and you're working and shopping working and it's just like quit and it's just so this is a good sign and i just think there's uh i don't know i think they really might have overstepped here with this covid situation is what i think i'm really encouraged by the republican hearings because now that they got just a like even if it's just a you know one or two-person majority that they, they now have the committee chair. So, you know, they're doing the 100-byte laptop. They're dragging Matt Taibbi, you know, in front of the hearings, and and he's spilling the beans on the Twitter files, which is pretty funny because Taibbi's a total lefty, too. And then you got the Wuhan situation kind of coming to light, big time, under another committee. Yeah, so, I mean, there's actually a lot of stuff coming out. I mean, when Robert Redfield... Testifies before a House subcommittee that, you know, Fauci pretty much invented this narrative that it didn't happen as a lab leak, even though Redfield thought it was. And then when asked, was it gain of function research funded by the US government through Eco Health Alliance that caused the release of this virus? He said, Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, seven million people are dead. And Again, they're going to try to do a limited hangout because they got caught. And they're going to try to say it was China. Now that's going to be, you know, they'll get Laura Ingram and the whole right wing mob behind them and saying, yeah, yeah, it was China. It was China. It wasn't China. It wasn't China. China said when this first happened in March of 2020, I heard a Chinese defense official interviewed. The only time I ever heard a Chinese defense official interviewed about it. And he said, they asked him where it came from. And he said the U.S. military brought it to our country. And that's exactly what happened. They brought it to their country during the world military games in Wuhan. And it may even have something to do with an interaction of 5G with this coronavirus that would somehow stimulate parasites, maybe, because the cybermectin works for some strange reason. Don't know, you know, but it's very sophisticated operation where they're trying to, I think, use the 5G to enhance the killing ability of the coronavirus that they created.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's the story that I'm stuck on, too. And it kind of reminds me of 9 11, where you got Dr. Judy Wood, who wrote this great textbook about the actual materials coming down and how they were fused together in weird ways. And she basically says it was some kind of exotic microwave Tesla like technology that brought these towers down. And so, you know, the point, the analogy is like, This technology is so sophisticated that a regular person can't identify it. So you really are left with nothing but the official story, because if you can't solve it, then you got you got nothing. No one's going to listen to you. You So
2: can't. Yeah. Right.
1: I think the same thing's going on with COVID. It's it's so sophisticated and there's so many weird little aspects to it that it's just really hard to identify it fully. And if you can't do that, then people just go with the narrative. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. But it has something to do with that transition from fossil fuel based economy to an electromagnetic economy. Okay. And that's what it has to do with. And probably those weapons that Judy Woods talked about were a test or something. Who knows? But at any rate, I just don't think it's necessarily working. And I think, you know, I do think that the, that the vaccinations are creating human antennas everywhere because the 5G would need that because it's a short millimeter wave. and doesn't travel very far. So you gotta have people with mRNA vaccines in them that'll act as our antennas in between the towers. I do yeah. really believe that's for sure true. And um that's where the graphene comes in. So maybe that's even the biggest part of it. Maybe you know it's not a depopulation as much as it is uh advancing this fourth industrial revolution. But also just that being said, I don't think it's working. And I, I think a lot of their stuff's not working. And this probably won't work either.
1: I also want to just say you do talk in the book about being a terrain guy and not really being into the germ theory, but then we also have to rectify that with something can be made in a lab that makes people sick. So, I mean, both things yeah. can kind of be true. That's another division going on in the conspiracy
2: world. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and that, I think viruses exist, but I just think um, I think they're in us all the time. You know, I just think they're naturally occurring. Right. Um we have we have anthrax in us, man. <laughs> you know we have everything. <laughs> well, I was always taught that when you
1: shake hands with someone, you transfer like ten thousand viruses between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, probably. I'm not saying they don't exist. They just don't necessarily make us sick.
2: There you go. That's what I'm saying. And and I'm saying that yeah, all them guys. Again, if you look at Louis Pasteur, member of the Royal Society, right? Um, all them guys, and and it's just never been proven. And it's it's you know. Really, a virus can't travel between an animal into the human population without being manipulated. And that they know that already, even the virologist types. But, yeah, I just think a lot of uh, what passes for for pandemics and, and, you know, sickness and black plague and all this different stuff. I just think it has more to do with the unsanitary conditions, which, again, start with agriculture (laughs) and then get worse with cities. Because cities concentrate people, there's open sewers now, there's common, you know, there's garbage dumps, big garbage dumps, not just one, you know, a little tribe and they move on. Yeah. So it's a lot it's a it's an indication of the a lot of bad decisions we've made. Um uh, yeah, from those from those benevolent aliens <laughs> or whatever. But so I just think a lot of it is is just, just you know, and that and that was the understanding before um before, you know, Um, germ theory came along, which is, again, relatively recent. It's only 150 years old or whatever. Before that, it was miasma theory or terrain theory, or there's different things they call it. But they for for 100,000 years, I mean, people thought that, you know, the reason you get sick is because you get poisoned. Yep. And if you look at the crown, it's like they have an apothecary, right? Well, the apothecary, uh, back to them, is basically like a witch. And they study all manner of different ways to poison people all the time. And they always have. And so those apothecaries are now, our scientists are, you know, at, at the CDC. And and what are they doing with gain of function research? Oh, the Wellcome Trust, which is the crown's biggest medical charity and the biggest medical charity in the world, along with DARPA, is funding gain of function research. <laughs> which does what? It, it just, it attacks people and it poisons people. You're poisoning people. Yeah. So, and, and, and a lot of people think, you know, the but for example, the polio epidemic coincided with the release of DDT in California. Yeah. And a lot of so there's a lot of evidence actually that that no, the old timers were right. And and it really is about just every time they poison you, they have to come up with some excuse. Like this time, I think they poisoned us with 5G. And and they just turned it on, and then they had to have like a backstop. So they released this virus and maybe they did some more tweak it in, and made it interact with the 5G to make it more or whatever. But but they knew people were going to die anyway of the 5G. And so they had to have a cover. So this time, yeah, it's a coronavirus this time. And a common goal. And by the way, coronavirus, uh, crown, corona means crown, right? In Latin. And uh, virus means poison or uh, venom or venom. And there's some people think this is snake venom involved with the Wuhan thing. And it could be too. I don't know. Yeah. But they poisoned us again. That's <laughs> what happened. And right. it does and but yeah, but by saying it's germs and you know, then it's like on us and it puts the it puts the onus on us, right? And it's your fault because you didn't, you know, clean whatever keep clean, whatever. Uh, no, it wasn't us. We didn't, you know, we just dumped all this in the river over here. This big railroad thing blew up and we blew it up. Vinyl chloride, but no, no, it wasn't us. It was your fault that you succumbed to a virus <laughs> or succumbed to cancer. You're weak. You humans are weak. So it's all, yeah. I, I do tend to definitely think, and increasingly, and I think after writing this book even more so, I think that, that yeah, pretty much it's train theory and pretty much every virus, every germ, everything they'd say is bad for us. Um, I mean, there's a war on, on, on biology. There's a war on the biotica. There's a war, you know, that's why I get antibacterial soap, right? Because there's just, it's, again, it's just part of their war on everything, on nature. And germs are a part of nature, what they could call germs. So there's a <laughs> war on everything, and, and and in in making things maybe a little too clean, and, and again, these Luciferians have have subjected us to things like yeah, uh, you know, there's uh, antibiotic resistance, you know, yes, and and they've created this this total disaster precisely because they took the bite out of the apple, chose to worship their intellect instead of their empathy and chose to follow a bad path instead of the good red road. Just that simple.
1: Amen. Amen. And now we walk around with the device with the bitten apple right on the back of it. And nobody blinks an eye. Nobody thinks about it. But man, you know a lot about a lot. Great points about the agriculture thing and how it turns into like concentrated cities and big junk piles. I mean, nature likes to flow, the wind, the water, maybe humanity should be flowing as well with a kind of a mobile uh, lifestyle. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm coming over to your page on that one, but man, uh, you are one of the good ones. Obviously you don't have a website anymore, but is there any parting information to give people about supporting your work or anywhere they can follow you?
2: Just, uh, you know, if you, if, yeah, I got, I guess, uh, yeah, this, so the, the latest book is, uh, Royal Bloodline with Tico and the Great Remembering and, uh, it's about a month out there on Amazon now. But yeah, all my books, I got seven of them. They're on Amazon. Just just type in Dean Henderson Amazon. Um you can also get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, you can go to your local library, have them order one, which I always encourage because then you don't gotta pay for it yourself. But you know, your whole community will be able to read that book that way and and in, in uh different ways. But but yeah, that's about it. And I uh I appreciate you having me, uh, you know, Greg, and you're one of the good guys too, man. So happy <laughs> travels and uh, you know, if you need to take a detour, uh up to the Black Hills, uh, I'll be here.
1: <laughs> Cheers, I appreciate that. Well, keep fighting the good fight, man. Nice talking to you again. Take care out there.
2: All right, you too, man. Take care.
4: Let's take a moment to thank the people who make Intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Yes, folks, Mystical Wares is where the Jedi Knights shop when they have their annual field trip to planet Earth. After annihilating battalions of stormtroopers and blowing up the death star they deserve an all-out shopping spree and their supplier of choice is mystical wares in mount vernon washington an oasis of light in an otherwise dark universe i spoke to master yoda the other day and asked him where he buys his shungite he replied tell you i will and not be labor mystical wares I also pick up spare parts for my light saber. So there you have it, folks. If it's good enough for Master Yoda and the Jedi elite, it's certainly good enough for the rest of us. Mystical wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. I am Ani, mad as the day is long, in this was metaphysical martini a production of cosmic reality radio to whom we are most grateful until we meet again my darlings get involved in local politics learn to identify the dirty tricks within the matrix and above all let the spirit inhabit the human
0: scalar energy is demonstrating how good health depends upon balance the stable human and animal energy fields Test it out for yourself with a free, weekly, 12-hour remote session at mysticalwares.com slash scalar dash healing. This is an ongoing program allowing you to pick and choose the scalar energy treatment you want. Thus, you must register weekly for the session presented every Friday. Experience the future of medicine now for the free sessions or sign up for one designed specifically for you. Go to mysticalwares.com slash scalar dash healing. And remember, you must sign up weekly and receive the confirmation email or text confirming the session. Experience the future of medicine now. And welcome to Radio 5G Cosmic Soup, the Cosmic Soup Show. Um, We're doing this and we're going to explain it in a bit. I'm Nancy Hopkins. Mark Joseph is with me. And um, you've just listened to uh, Dean Henderson. And what's the guy's name? I I wrote it down, but I'm not sure. Greg Carwood? Is that it?
3: Carwood. Something I got to look it up, too. But it's the Higher Side Chats. He's always had amazing guests. uh, San Diego-based, you know, that biotech place. Um, And he's interviewed um, Henderson uh, numerous times. And he does have a subscription hour, too. But Henderson so much in, not not YouTube but Rumble, especially BitChute, He's all over the place. So yeah, this is great.
0: Yeah, I went to his Substack. There, he's got a Substack up now, and uh, I just went over there. I'm not into. I don't. I'm not a member of it anything. And I went over there, and there's like, yeah, he's been talking to everybody. There was uh, a lot of the names I knew that he, you know, videos, radio, whatever podcasts um but he's very he's well he's 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 very let me just do this because i'm i I, I, we're going to do it at at the beginning of it but i gave a i'm going to in the when i set up the first part of this hour i'm going to give you a little bit of a background on him but he actually had his website taken down by nsa (laughs) i've never heard of that one before You know, so it's like this guy is definitely on target if they're going about that. You know what I'm saying? And he is, um, I found him to be, you can't follow everything he's doing unless you've been following him. He puts so much out there. But what I really appreciated about it was his ability to, and I, I, all these guys that do the, the deep dive into the history of it, you know, it, it's like a, an average person's going like, what are you people talking about? Reptilians and, you know, the KM, the uh, Kassarian Mafia. and Where are you getting all this? You know, well, when you listen to him, you know where you get it. You get it by a deep, deep, deep dive into history and not the history you've been taught. The history that's real. So um, deeply appreciate it. But we we just got talking about, what were we talking about when I said, well, let's just start the show?
3: Um, the name, partial name change of the... Of, uh, oh,
0: right, right, the name change. Yes, yes. Um, Mark had, had suggested a name change to Radio 5G because Radio 5G is, when we started it out in February of 2019, that was the very biggest problem that was right on the horizon, because the potential capabilities of the system was such that you weren't we none of us would be free ever again because they could watch everything, but the reality is it didn't quite work out the way they planned um, in order to be able to get the kind of control and the kind of of Technical capability, they were burning up the electric grid. So they either punted, or they used as as uh, Dean Henderson is is suggesting that they they actually did get yeah it's working it's up there it's doing damage we know that, but was it really so much that they pushed the 5G in order to try to get it out there and that's in pushing it they didn't quite get it oh, dogs after something um they didn't quite get it to the technological stability that they needed to do this in a quiet way so nobody would know you know it's it's it goes back to the concept of the uh you know the frog in the water if you turn the frog put the water on cold put the frog in it you can heat it up until you kill them they don't realize that they're about to boil and it may have been that that was the multi you know their real plan was to get that out there and then they couldn't so what happened was that you woke them you put them in hot water like you're dropping us in hot well, what is this you know so we had uh, an immediate response against it it could be that that's when they pulled out the pandemic type of situation Or they used it like he says, is that when they turned it on, people were getting sick. We know this from, uh, you know, Gateshead in England where uh, Mark Steele comes into the picture. And yes, the first 5G city turned on and people were having all sorts of terrible, terrible things happening, especially the children. Like children getting heart cancer, you know, but now... I was listening to a show Mark did not too long ago. And now Mark's saying, we've got the empirical proof that this stuff is doing this now. When we were talking about it just a few years, a couple of years ago, we were talking in terms of theoretically this could happen. But now they've turned it on. And we see it. But because it was being seen, you know, now you pull out the the uh, virus uh, situation in order to confuse people as to why they're getting sick. And this went into a situation that they talk about on here, too. The concept of, you know, terrain or what is it? Terrain or.
3: It's the virus versus the terrain. I forget. Right.
0: Right. Right. And um, to me, that was it's an important thing to look at because it confused me also. You know, what's it? And now you you look at it and you go, maybe it's two together. So um, anyway, the 5G has morphed into something that is involved with with the pandemic and and all sorts of different things. So it's only now a subset section of a lot of problems that we're seeing, and we couldn't really talk about the problems we're seeing and keep it all radio 5G. So yes, especially in the other uh, other voices section uh, that we were doing we were getting into a lot of different stuff. You know, secret history, secret science, you know, a lot of different stuff. So it kind of like made sense to make a a change in the name. Um, And then Dolly Howard, when she was listening to us talking about on on the Shungite show last week uh, about Radio 5G, she just said, you know, why don't you change the name to the Cosmic Soup show? And it was like, Okay, now I'm getting nudged to do this. But then that very day, we were playing a clip from uh, Billy uh, Billy Carson. And he was talking about how the universe is created. And he used the word, it's really a big soup, you know. And so he actually used the word soup. And I said, okay, let's just try this. So, Mark, you, you tell me, you know... Why you're you're going along with this theme of the cosmic soup?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm tightrope walking between the two. But <clears throat> so the what was it months ago? I I was asking on air about changing the name. I forget the reason why. Um. Oh, because you know it's balancing between the current events versus the um, technology and consciousness um, approach of things. And uh, I don't mind talking about current events if you can connect it to technology and uh, the timelessness of human nature and the nature of all things, nature of reality, right? Which you guys do to uh, Aaron and uh, Say What and um, cosmic reality. Uh, and there are uh, specific limitations to radio 5G in itself. Um which is why like the Shungite show is a good balance between the two. <clears throat> uh, and then, so I really like when you first proposed the idea in email, but cosmic soup, I really liked it because, um, following people like, you know, Tony, Tony Pantoloresco fighting na- nanobiotech for about 15 plus years. And then him introducing Sabrina Wallace, which is like, you don't even need the nanotech. It's just frequency and taking this stuff in your body and using it as biosensors. Uh, and you can follow her on the odyssey channel uh psi synergy um so it, it is a soup if we're all frequency you know we're consciousness basically uh and and um we're a structured frequency so it is a kind of soup in a way so i like the idea of being playful about it, and humor is a uh a strong angle to go with and it it encompasses everything where we're headed towards new earth and uh you know people waking up, people growing up as opposed to you know uh, falling falling asleep more or um, wherever they are on the path but um, so I just had the idea of just keeping the two and having that bridge, and eventually there'll come a point uh, where <clears throat> you know um, one of the themes will stay so yeah I mean that that's where I am with it and I think it's good it, it it challenges people and expands their um limitations and awareness so and then the idea of, of maybe having the um radio 5g b which i think that, that's a good story too so maybe you can get into that later uh I, I think it was with with the um Shungite queen b right but um yeah having having the two together because it is an emblematic symbol and Um, what is as above so below that thing of how the way that stars are shaped and um, the rhythm of their creation is the same as ourselves and how uh, we are formed uh, fractally. Um, and and Walt Silva does go into that and creating his various Shungite advanced devices so yeah I think this is a good chapter you know uh, we're kind of filming this around the full moon time and Correct me if I'm wrong, but Halloween is a Tuesday, and November 1st is a Wednesday, which is when this will be aired. So uh, I guess that's All Souls Day, right? So again, that's the balance between worlds. Um, Yeah, so I'll leave that there as far as uh, my comment on that.
0: Yeah, you're right. I didn't. (laughs) You're right. It's actually actually November 1st, yeah. Yeah, Tuesday is Halloween. See, when I was growing up, we—I can rem- i always thought that we were trick or treating on the thirtieth. I don't know why I got that into my head, and so it was—I thought it was the last day was, you know, on Monday, not Tuesday. But anyway, so yes, November first, this is playing. Um, I hope you guys had a nice Halloween. <laughs> if you. It used to be my favorite, you know, but but now knowing what I know, it was like at that time it was all imaginary. But now a lot of the stuff that's out there is just scary. <laughs> I mean, even the candy thing, how the how kids are bri- bribed to eat to, with all this candy and the candy people make all this money. And it's like it, it was the. De- really came out of commercial need and you know as you grow older some of these traditional things that you follow are not so nice anymore because it, that's what we're confronting every time you turn around there's the dark side involved so anyway um, okay so where would you like to kind of start the show I mean you probably you always take notes you always got a way of going through this
3: Right. Uh so I proposed this this uh hour of, of uh Henderson's interview uh to you because I first heard him on um Health Ranger report Mike Adams interviewed him uh October eighteenth. So that's up in any kind of podcast app some Brighton, I think on Oh uh, yeah, BitChute of course, maybe Rumble. I didn't check there. Uh Henderson has the most interviews on <coughs> BitChute. Uh what was it Um, he does like a monthly thing with Jeff Rents and the latest one from the 27th is pretty good i did take a couple highlight notes but i didn't detail what they were so uh, so he does visit rents like once a month on like current event stuff uh but the his best interview i think is with uh Adams so check that one out i took a bunch of notes on that and let me see the substack uh has a a ton of his in recent interviews. And like, oh, just <clears throat> I've been gone a couple of weeks looking into it and it looks like he has some pretty recent ones. But it's uh deanhenderson.substack.com. And so funny note about Substack, um they do have a way of tracking tracing you. Forget who originally mentioned it. Zach Voorhees maybe on X, that uh, on that. But um Dr. Lee Merritt, which we've Played some of her clips on the show over the years. She's recently interviewed Friday, last Friday, on Kate Daly's show. And she was talking about when she connected the coronavirus pandemic thing to uh, EMFs, that we are electromagnetic beings. The moment she did that on Substack, she was demonetized and then taken off of PayPal, uh, Stripe, and I think um, Subscribestar was the other one. So she mentioned that in the interview. So that is her latest. I like to keep up with her, like uh, once or twice a month, of what she's been up to, and of course, Medical Rebel on um, what do you call it, uh, Rumble. So I, I like um, I like Henderson's approach because I mean, you know, he does get into the technology stuff. So he has a book specifically on five G and the connection to the bloodlines as a, a control mechanism. Um, so his approach is good because he traces it back to the root the way when civilization first started and all his interviews are i mean i wouldn't call them the same but it hits on the same points bloodlines Watiko, uh wankatanka the the great mystery and um uh, following that spirit <clears throat> so what i have a uh what do you call it context or syntax um uh, uh disagreement with him as extensive and you know full on out is is and then this is being used as like a meme and like a thing that's always used. It's it's the term Satanist. So from a Christian point of view, it's almost like anything you don't like, you use that term. Now I understand that um was it some of the most uh <clears throat> evil ceremonies, rituals, because he did mention Babylon the Talmud, right? And that those were some pretty um, heavy uh, material, and some of it was carried into uh, the, the inner circles of the Catholic Church and secret societies and different religions. So the actions in themselves are, you know, this whole thing of sacrificing and uh, and then use of children, things like that. That's been happening for thousands of years, obviously. And people would call that quote-unquote satanic right and i understand but the word has only been used properly and contextually as far as a non-religious um what do you call it a relation to it back in the 60s with uh, the church of satan that was the first time it was codified and defined as a as a term in religion outside of religious bias so the actual let's say investigative journalist term is um, going against the grain, um, meaning adversary, and to go against the status quo. And if you look into the initial, uh, uh, the first time it was actually defined, uh, codified, is um, you know the, as far as Church of Satan goes, atheist organization, and uh, and and <clears throat> rebelling against authority, to a point like. Obviously, it's also acknowledged of the uh, divide and conquer and um, controlling both sides. So, um, yeah, I mean, and then there's only one person who was able to clarify that, which was Milo Yiannopoulos, because he was a journalist and a writer. And everybody else just takes liberty. Now, I understand that intel agencies do hijack any term and use it for their own goal. But then the same thing goes for its religious use. But i understand its general use um nowadays of, of you know pure evil actually existing i mean like and henderson talked about this himself you go back far enough and then the bible has been changed so many times and even um the the person who's jesus he wasn't meant to be worshiped like what was it 255 a.d he was naming specifically council of nicaea and and this is basically the centralization uh, obviously control um and and uh again the bloodline messing with stuff to have that uh slave mentality right so you know we're around the time of halloween so i, under, I understand um <clears throat> people having fun with outfits and stuff like that and i do acknowledge that whole thing of uh being a high holiday for for uh, um you know having a, a deeper Uh, you know, the the, um, sacrificial application to it for certain people. So I'm just trying to contextualize, compartmentalize uh, what it's initial, actual codification versus it's just overuse and it just gets watered down, like the word racism. Um, But I do, I mean, agree as far as, um, you know, him using that term and what the bloodlines have been doing over the eons, right? So, and, and that was a key point in the interview where um, it's sort of another form of giving your own power away, counsel of Nicaea, Jesus as being this Messiah, Savior kind of thing, so we wouldn't have to take personal responsibility. And like that's like one of the main tenets of the Church of Satan is taking personal responsibility. And then their books have been out for, at least for that organization, as far as the other uh, the satanic temple and whatever, those are co opted by the intel agencies for their woke agendas and whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, but this is all throughout, and the whole thing with the Milgram experiment, too, that what was it, close to seven out of 10 people pretty much give their power away to authority, even if it kills a loved one, right? So, again, it's taking personal responsibility. Um, and I think that was around the 16 minute mark where it was pr- he went pretty deep into it that, um, uh, Illuminati murdering you know, uh, Christ and then the Habsburg having the spear of destiny. And I think that'll be a good topic for Tuesday too about, um, destiny spears connection to Shunkite and how that whole thing happened. Um, <clears throat> so and then, uh, shortly after he was mentioning that um, science being the new messiah, right? Um, and, and, of course, the last three years have kind of seen where that went, and um, yeah, so I don't know, do you want to comment on any of that, Nancy?
0: Well, uh, first off, on the word Satan, Satanism, uh, good for you to point that out. I think the church that, because I've heard some of the things that churches, you know, Talking about and saying that they they support and I'm thinking why did you call yourself satanism? You know, this is not by definition what I knows of, of satanism. That, that's just my comment on that um, So I totally agree um, I think I th- Being a writer myself sometimes you have to settle on a particular term you're 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 not muted. It, oh, it, sorry. It, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 when as an author myself, when you when you're trying to get across some kind of like difficult to understand concept, you might settle on a word. And yes, you begin to use it, and you because people can kind of like out of the Bible, you know, and even you know, the the paganistic uh, realm where there is an evil spirit out there, Satan. But that Satan is almost benign compared to the evil that we're actually encountering. Um, He wants your soul, but he's not running around drinking your blood. You know, that type of thing. So I kind of think of it as a distraction. You know, because I think that what we would consider terribly evil, wherever it began, it began with a concept that we might not be familiar with, or uh, you know, prior to our new way or new remembering. I liked his his concept of remembering. Um, when when. Those people, whoever they are, when they first, and, and I am, let's say, fond of the Kasarian concept because it was a group of people that were just horrendous from our perspective in that there was a lot of drinking human blood needing human beings, according to, to the story. And again, all these are stories, you know, everything is true, everything isn't on some timeline. So, let's assume that, that that particular story is true and is affecting, you know, our timeline. Well, that was a identifiable group of people. Now, what if they knew something about the blood? What if they had a different attitude about the blood than we do? What if that blood was the life nourishment that they were you know, and supposedly this is part of it, that doing that somehow or another charges you with special qualities. What if this group of people, for whatever reason, thought of themselves as gods? That there was no one God, there was not any, all these other gods, you know, they they were God. And if you look at the Some of the things that these people say, it's like they're talking like they're gods. You're going to be safer. You're going to be happy. You're going to eat bugs and you're going to be happy because I'm God and I'm telling you that. Right? So you've got this group of people out there that actually do, I think, in their reality, think of themselves as gods. And yes, it's part of this this heritage of the bloodline. And that's why when I hear people talking in terms like Henderson did, that he could actually name the people, who were they, what did they do, you know, blah blah blah, um, it 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 takes on a, a a reality. Oh, I see you've actually you're actually tracing all of this, so it becomes more real that this concept of bloodline could in effect be a Subcategory of reality that the vast majority of us don't understand and can't even get there in our head. Yes, I am God in that I am made from the substance of God, but I'm not the one God. I don't think you think you are either. You know, we're all versions of God. So I wouldn't presume to know everything because I only know my slice of reality you only know yours and that realization that how could you even consider being god you don't have the ability to be able to perceive what what god can perceive which is much more than just our own little you know piece of this extraordinary adventure of life um so I, I'm. I probably sound like I'm rambling, but what what I'm saying here is that we. I don't want to underestimate my enemy. I don't want to think that they're crazy. They may know something. They may believe something that gives them a version of reality that gives them the right, the moral, you know, right to do this. And, and, and a reflection of that, I would think, is Nazi Germany. You know the the concept of the the perfect race, the Aryan brotherhood. You know that they they were special because of the bloodline. Where does this come from? My suspicion is is that when Henderson gets talking about the Anunnaki, I think very much it could be going all the way back there. Why? Well, because the Anunnaki. I don't know what the story is of how they got here. Um, I, I really wasn't never considered the fact that it was Anunnaki that were the pharaohs, that they didn't just live here for a short period of time and then leave, and then other people came in. Ets and that it's actually that the Anunnaki can. Is that right? Are you getting the same understanding of what he's saying?
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with him. Uh, So even if it wasn't... You know, because I know the alien thing can be used to to kind of... um, Also as a form of escaping responsibility. But it's well understood that there have been civilizations that have come and gone. So I like that idea. It doesn't have to be aliens, but... The ancient builders and different forms of down our genetic line. That we're trying... Like he calls the remembering of... uh, and you, you guys have talked about that previous incarnations and things left behind. So it could be GMO humans too and advanced civilization technology lost. So, And I'm fine with that version too. So it doesn't have to be taken from outer space, you know.
0: Right, right, exactly. But what we can agree on is that there's a group of people who do some things that we consider awful. I just don't want you to... Th- I, I think I think it's a, a stumbling block to assume that, because, I guess because I'm older, because I've seen, I've heard, I've seen so many of the other side of the story. And if you, you're just open to it, you realize, oh, there is a reason for you being these crazy people. Because again, you know, insane. They must be crazy. Well, from our vantage point, yes, but maybe not from their vantage point. They just see us as being a horse, a dog. They don't understand the connection that we have. I think that's why they're they're in trouble. That they they don't understand the connection we have directly with a with a God source. That they didn't quite understand uh, the the native uh, connection to the God source, through nature. And so it's like you can't debate somebody if you don't have some mutual ground. And I don't think we have any mutual ground. You know, can these people all of a sudden become passionate? Can they all of a sudden become emphatic? Can they all of a sudden just become caring, loving beings? I suspect they think they are. Maybe not in those terms, because they don't need those terms. But I suspect that they love their children. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what their reality is. Nor do I want to know what their reality is. I look at it because I want to be able to try to figure out how to deal with them. But it's it's like two realities crashing together. So... I think they just have to go someplace or we have to go someplace. It's it you know it, it does remind me of the Israeli Palestinian thing. I mean, I, and I think that's why I'm I'm questioning this now because if you look at the, if you're in a Palestinian reality and you're looking at the Israelis, the Israelis have come and stolen your property. And that's your reality. From the standpoint of the Israelis, they are looking at you and, you and they're saying, you didn't own the property. It didn't belong to you. You were nomads. You didn't have any state. You didn't put up, you know, walls to keep your borders together. You were nomadic. And if you're looking at it from the Israeli standpoint, the concept of law, I mean, after World War II, and I don't know if many people even remember how Israeli came, Israel came about, but after World War II, and this is just flat out, you know, in my opinion, brutal facts, the Europeans, the Americans, they, the Allies, had all of these Jewish people that were displaced and broken souls, that they just wanted to get them the hell out of there. Anti-Semitism was allowed to grow in, in 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 Germany. It was rampant in America, and people don't like to face that. So the, the, it was always the Jewish question, what are we going to do with these people? So they decided that they were going to give them a portion of northern africa initially and they were going to just send them all there and the jewish people said no if we're going to be if we're going to leave our homes here we want to go back to our ancestral home and the british controlled that area of uh, where israel and palestine but again there was no city states there that was it was nomadic tribes so the belford Uh, accords is what set this all in motion so they I think it went well sort of it's it's a long story but they they made an agreement to let the Jewish people occupy the area of their ancestral home which was you know where where the people the Moses people and everybody else lived and that is their ancestral home send them back there and give it to them because nobody owned it the British owned it, but, you know, there wasn't there wasn't any pushback from any states at the time. So they started just putting these people there, and then, you know, Israel wants to become a state. So there's a UN, by that time the UN was built, so there was a UN meeting. And the Arabs were all told about this meeting, and the Arab tribes never showed up. So the UN said, well, I guess they don't want this land. It's yours. They gave it to the Jews. So from the Jewish standpoint, that's how they ended up with the legal right to that land. And from the Palestinians, they don't even care about the law. That was their land. They had lived on it. That was their ancestral land. How do you how can you get these two people to to come to any kind of an agreement. Well, the, the thing of it is, is it's very easy. You know, all you have to do is expand the economic wealth of Israel into Palestine, into the other Arabs around you. But there is this, I call it an artificial movement that doesn't allow that to happen. And I think it goes back to the Kassarian Mafia or uh, some, whoever, the uh, the, uh, Anastasi, I, I mean, I don't know where it starts. Inanaki, but I don't know where it starts, but they're still mucking with stuff. So as long as this stuff starts to unravel, you begin to see that the Palestinian people are definitely victims. But they're victims because of the programming that there's being put on them by the Hamas. And apparently, from what I'm hearing, and again, you get different stories, but the Hamas are t- teaching children to hate the Jews, to want to exterminate the Jews. So, okay, you got that situation occurring there. But at the same time, you had 20,000 Palestinians every day crossing into Israel to go to work and one of the most important things I saw in watching a lot of this krepple was it, it, it within it was it was virtually it just happened, and there was this man there who was being interviewed and he absolutely looked shell shocked he 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 But he just kept saying, I don't understand this. This is our friends. These are our friends. Why did they do it to us? So that man was seeing Palestinians doing this instead of Hamas. He wasn't even in his mind at that time. So it goes back to what happens when you take, uh, you know, uh, which I disagreed with at the time. I thought this was a bad idea. The busing of the students, black black to white you know that type of thing when they were busing students outside of their local school in order to integrate uh the black and white kids well what they did discover and again you don't hear about this but what they did discover is that if you brought black and white kids together they played well Okay? You've got to be programmed in a deep hate to not see... There's a great commercial out there. This dad is in a car with his son. And the dad is saying to his son, they're they're parked on a street, and the dad's saying to the son, I've seen your social posting. You said Hitler was right? I didn't teach you that sort of thing. And then he points to this building, and there's some Jewish people coming out of this building and he says if you believe that then you get out of this car and you go tell them that and you know the kid is looking and this camera work that they did was so excellent all these people were were laughing and they were having fun and they were just regular people and of course the the son is seeing those regular people not this image in his head about Jews So when you take and you marry up black to white, there is a breakdown of that uh, bigotry. And again, people don't talk about that. They put the black people over here and the white people over here. Well, I live in a neighborhood where the white people are 13% of the population. I've got black neighbors, I've got brown neighbors, I've got Haitians and and Caribbean I've got I tell people don't come to Miami if you think you're coming to an American city it's an international city and you know so yes and and I'd do the same thing if all of a sudden I drove into an area that was up north predominantly black i think I'm in a bad neighborhood but that's not true down here in South Florida it's a different place and, you know, if I'm in trouble, who's going to run to me? A Haitian on that side, a Haitian on that side, a Latino from across the street, a black guy from, from across the street, you know, another black person. Black being American black in, you know, versus, versus Haitian black. So, but I wouldn't have a white person. The two white people that I know live behind me and they'd probably not hear me scream. <laughs> you know? So, but I don't see black or white or brown because I live with them. They're my neighbors. So the only way you're going to cure a lot of these problems is to take down these ghettos that people have built up around themselves because they've been financed to do that. But it's not a big thing to do. We can we can change everything in a lot of ways. I'm sorry. I'm going to turn it over to you.
3: Yeah, uh, it, change comes locally and to your neighbors. So, absolutely. Um, wanted to read this quote at the 45-minute mark of his interview, and let me see. Force and fraud are, and more, the two cardinal virtues. Covenants without the sword are but words and of no strength to secure a man at all when all the world is over overcharged with inhabitants then the last remedy of all is war which provideth for every man by victory or death i mean that's what we're seeing now right with the um uh middle east distraction uh and like if this focus is so heavy there again like what we talked about last time what is happening locally that's so much more uh you know that's heavier things are sweeping under the rug things are passing um so take a look at what your decentralized sources are. I mean both both, you know, um outlets, centralized and decentralized. I, I like Jim Mulley's take of if you take the centralized point of view and just invert it, it then be, it basically becomes true like weeks later. And that's a pretty consistent formula. Uh I was recommending um uh Henderson's Mike Adams. What do you call it? It's an interview. So one of the big highlights there, and Adam said this, is that um, Palestine is is um, a, a test pilot program to be a 15 minute city, and we see that out in the open of in you know, the cutting off of. I mean, if they could cut off their oxygen, they probably would. So even from the Egypt side, right? That that's co- closed off too. So where is the? Um, Arab assistance from there. I mean, I haven't looked into it too much, but, and then even Israel itself is kind of a prison. You have all of these walls and restrictions and surveillance and them having the most powerful surveillance technology for those things. Um, But going back to uh, agriculture was a consistent theme he brought up um, and and that it had, um, do do you remember him mentioning it? uh, So, in, in Native Americans, they have a council. The The whole thing of a chief was uh, a current construct. So when agriculture was brought in, I mean, not only did it destroy so much of the, the wildlife around, you have to clear the land, right? So you hear this a lot in the low-carb and um, zero-carb community of why, um, you know, they, it's like, not apples and oranges, but they compare that, if you're eating meat, you're killing more animals. But vegetarian and vegans, like no, you're helping the environment. That's completely not true. Agriculture, you have to kill so many, in the hierarchy of um, insects, animals. Way more, other than chickens. Chickens, you do kill a lot, <laughs> so that there's that. But the Anunnaki, I think, trained you know for for um, beginning agriculture in Sumer, and that was part of the. Um, disposability of, of civilization right and, and also um what was it? he something about women losing their power and status based on agriculture and that was a force thing too uh can't find it in my notes but do you remember him talking think, about that
0: uh, yes yes i do and i gave it some thought because he kind of just said it you know and yes it would make sense because historically as they get Uh, earlier and earlier into humanity they find out that the women were as warrior-like as the men. But when you've got agriculture all of a sudden, somebody's got to stay home and take care of the garden. So I think it was that kind of a process.
3: Yeah, uh, it was around the 34-minute mark. The the women's status um, had crashed because of the agriculture movement. Um, Yeah. So- yeah, they've had,
0: they've, had, they've had women leading, you know, armies, you know, it, 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 and that's, I, I've watched some of this, uh, I'm really into, uh, you know, going back and digging in, into pits of stuff, and the more they, they dig, the archaeology expands, and they've got new ab- abilities to be able to look under the ground and stuff, when they've got all that happening, they're finding that women were highly respected as warriors. And I think that that, that, that agricultural thing, taking them out of the nomadic concept of the um, fighting right beside the man, even in the Aztec, they found a, a grave site of something. It turned out to be um, one of the last uh, battles between the Spanish and, and the Aztec. There were women there, a lot of women. So it goes back that, you know, women were very important. They were macho, (laughs) so to speak. But somebody had to take care of the house.
3: Yeah, and and these um, structures and and concepts are a form of mental technology. Um, So you have the one based on nature and the land lasting for, what, thousands of years and then you have this one artificial one that that's coming in and around the 30 33 minute mark he was talking about technology being the B system and it was uh, he was generalizing it for you know technology straight through rather than the cbdcs or whatever and it's true because you know you're not grounding and then you have all of this these artificial fields around you <clears throat> and so what was I? I gotta find the article, but it was something about one of the big tech people. I think it was Meta being sued because it's it's harming uh, uh, children's mental capacity, like so many suicides and mental uh, illness increase. And this has been known. So I, I know we had Dr. Jack Cruz of uh, Mitochondrial Health um, taking one of his interviews and talked about it. But this was known last decade completely. I mean, we knew that. Uh, uh, the CEOs of these, you know, the, the front men never had their children use these technologies. So I've seen where um, you leave it with the child and then you take it away. It's like a drug. You know, they become a demon. I've seen this like in person. It's like it's pretty, uh, pretty intense of of, of that, that dopamine hit. Um, so I know this is where we get our information and um, references and connect with people. But yeah, how do you find that balance, you know? And it's it's by being what outside, grounding nature that, that kind of thing. So I I thought that was a good call out he did of uh, just different control mechanisms.
0: Well, there's there's so much been taken away. One of the one of the things that is appearing to be very critical, and I, I didn't know this that the hunter in uh, the old way the hunter would be the last person to to eat i found that to be very symbolic because the we talked about you know the taking the power from the women but they've taken the power from men and one of the things that the the, the black people mainly because the racism question all over the place, the black people are much more vocal about this. Is the breakdown in the family, in the father figures not being there, and they actually point to uh, two programs that were were instituted. One from, oh good lord, who was it? Oh, I'm not going to say because I don't remember. But it was it was a while back when when they started giving out uh, food stamps. And you you could get more if you didn't have a father figure in the house. And so it became like women didn't need that man there to make it because the government was standing in for the man. But the statistic that really caught my attention was one where they were comparing the success rate of of a boy, a son, who is raised only by a mother by both parents or only the father, and inevitably the success rate was much greater when you had a mom and a dad. Women that are the only one in the in the household they don't have real real good track record with their sons. But the thing that amazed me was that when you had just the father. Just the father, the success rate was equal to or in some cases looking like a little bit better than if you've got the two family. So the criticality of having macho men that will get in your face and say, just like in that commercial, I didn't raise you to say things like that, you know, and here's the consequence. If you believe that, you go face them and tell them instead of put it on social media. There's not those people, those father figures in so many young men's life. Never mind women. I don't. You know. I. I this was a thought. Talk about men. But um, yeah, it, they've attacked us on so many levels that we could. Well, we're going to have probably uh, you know every 50, fifty-two shows a year of this stuff. You know, and I've been doing it for what, since 2013 or something? You know, it's a lot of talk, and yet you keep finding out a little more and a little more and a little more. But I believe that we're we're going to succeed uh, in the end. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing is desperation on the part of the, the black cats, these people that think they're God. Maybe they're getting a little bit nervous. But we're at the end of the time frame that um almost there, and oops, see, there's the thing. see that I set the alarm um you wanna say anything in passing?
3: Yeah, I'll probably read this in the Shungite show, but uh zero hedge article, dozens of states who meta for sparking youth mental health crisis that's from the twenty fourth of uh this month. something to look into yeah. Yeah,
0: you know, there's. Uh, they, they they're trying desperately to shut people down, and it's not gonna. It's gonna blow up in their faces again because, again, as soon as you tell me that somebody got shut down by NSA, well, I want to know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I thank you so much for being here, and um, for our audience out there. Yep, the Cosmic Soup Show radio 5g be safe everybody we'll see you next time thank you so much you have been listening to radio 5g a production of cosmicreality.com thank you for listening